It's time for Americans to grow up and become financially responsible. Let's talk about something important. If you're in it for the money, that's not a bad thing. Do you realize how much money he just saved us? This is The Financial Physician with Lou Scatigna. The Financial Physician. It's the fastest hour in Money Talk Radio. It's also my pleasure to see to it that decent, hardworking people in this community aren't robbed blind by a pack of money-mad pirates. This is financial advice you can take to the bank. He's your money man. Show me the money. Your source for straightforward, no-nonsense financial advice. Bring me your money questions, because I'm here to help. And now, here he is, the financial physician, America's money doctor, Lou Scatigna. Greetings, my friends. How are you today on this first week of March 2023, as the year progresses at a fast pace? And uh, before you know it, spring will be here, and then summer, then fall. It'll be Christmas again before you know it. (laughs) Paul, it seems like we were just here. I mean, this week was just like a a flash. It certainly was. You know, it's just time is just marching along here. And, you know, it's it's tax season now, so I'm so busy that I don't even know what day it is. Uh, and, and the days just fly by. Um, we'll talk more about uh, – uh, one thing about tax season, I see all our clients and I get a pulse of the nation – I'm going to share what what people are thinking and feeling, uh, which is quite dramatic. Uh, probably the most dramatic I've ever seen uh, in the history of 40 years of financial services. People are fed up. People are scared. Uh, people are worried. Uh, people are bewildered. Uh, and we'll uh, we'll talk about that later uh, in the program. But it's um, certainly interesting times that we live in. And uh, as I said, the the year is just flying by and ready in March. And next week, the clocks go ahead. That's always a exciting time. Uh, there's talk about making maybe making that permanent, which would probably be a good thing. But uh, this whole thing about changing the clocks, I don't know. Um, my whole life we've lived with it, so I guess that's just the way it is. Anyway, let's start the program off. Uh, phone number here seven three two two three seven nine six two six. Now last week. I told you we talked about cars and the right way to buy buy cars and how Americans the reason why most Americans when they retire have little or no net worth is very simple cars and homes it's that simple you know people wonder why some people are are are, are, are have wealth uh, and other people don't it's just the way you live it's choices it's it, it's all about choices and decisions that we make. And no more so than our choices on cars and homes and how we finance them and everything else. That drives everything. So last week we talked about cars and the smart way to do it, not buying new cars and buying used cars and the proper way to finance it. Today we're going to talk about homes. Now, a home is the most expensive thing we're going to buy in our life. Uh, and when we buy a home, you know, we're not just – Paying off a mortgage, we got to pay for real estate taxes. We got to pay for insurance. We got to pay for upkeep. Uh, we have to pay for maintenance. Uh, if you have a condominium, potential assessments that happen. So, uh, and you add to that the cost of furnishings and everything else, uh, renovations, remodeling. It's a big, big expense. And purchasing and financing a home is most families' costliest long-term obligation. And for many people, especially first-time home buyers, when you buy a home, you're wiping out your savings. You need it for the down payment. 
And I remember when I bought, bought my first home at 33, uh, I had saved, uh, I believe it was $35,000, and I bought a new home. I remember it was $199,000, brand new in Jackson on an acre of land, and it was a great thing. I was, I was so excited about it. But it wiped out my savings. I was broke. The day I moved into my house, I was broke. And I'm starting from scratch again. And that's the tough thing for first-time home buyers. A, is saving up a down payment. And then B, being broke when you get into your house. Uh, and, 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 and usually first-time home buyers, you know, their, their monthly mortgage payments eat up a bulk of their income. And because of that, that leaves little money to save or invest. So you got to think it through. And so many people don't think it through when they buy a home. Is buying the best thing for me right now in my life? Should I rent maybe? Maybe that's a smart thing to do. And certainly right now with 7% mortgage rates, which we'll talk about in a minute, uh, maybe renting is the best thing to do. Also, with, with the, the price of housing, you know, even though we're starting to see housing prices starting to peak and come down a little bit, and I think there's a long way to go on the downside here, it's still unaffordable for most people. You know, you, you combine the excessive price for a home and you add to that the 7% mortgage rate, and for many people, it's just unaffordable. And we know what happened, you know, in 2007 and eight with the mortgage crisis, I mean, too many people bought homes who couldn't afford to, to keep them. They defaulted on their mortgages. Bonds blew up, and we had the financial crisis. Well, it's going to be worse this time, and it's really starting already. So uh, the key here is to buy a home that you can afford. Well, that sounds simple. That sounds smart. But, you know, many Americans, you know, we feel a sense of entitlement. We're ego-driven, we're status-conscious, and we're determined to lead glamorous lives. And so we believe that we deserve to live luxuriously, and we buy homes that are beyond our means or our needs. We all want castles. We want McMansions. And with that, we want the built-in pool, the finished basement, the beautiful deck, fine lawn, and we have to have the appropriate cars, clothes, vacations, all to go with it. Uh, and you wonder why Americans are paycheck to paycheck uh, and laden with debt. Now, I always uh, flash back to my past. You know, when, when I was growing up, and I sound like an old man when I say this, but uh, most people bought a modest house and kept it for a very, very long time. Uh, I'm the oldest of six kids, uh, so we were a family of eight uh, living in a three-bedroom Cape Cod with one functioning bathroom, right? And I don't know. It didn't seem like a hardship to me at the time. Sure, we had a fight over (laughs) who's going to take a shower when and where, but we got by. It was fine. Didn't know any better. But now you have a family of four with two kids living in a four-bedroom, 3,000-square-foot house. And that's it. The size of homes have grown quite a bit over the last few decades. 
Uh, and with that, the cost of them, the heating costs, the maintenance costs, the real estate taxes, the home insurance. And like I said, you know, people would live in the same house for a very, very long time. Many people would retire in the same house that they brought their kids up in. They pay it off. They'd have the, they wouldn't have a mortgage and, and they would live there and they would die there. Now, Americans move every seven years on average. Every seven years, you go and buy a new house. And usually, you're buying a bigger house. I mean, if you're not, unless your job moves to another location or you just want to move to Florida or something, why would you sell your house and buy another one and if you're not improving it if you're not getting something bigger and better? Now, many people, when they retire, they downsize, which is a smart thing to do. But I'm just saying is that over the course of our working lives, whenever we sell a house and buy a new one, we're usually trading up. And having larger, more expensive homes forces homeowners to devote a larger portion of their income to their house. And one of the most insidious things, and I don't really understand how this works. Nobody's been able to explain it to me. Why does my real estate taxes have to do with the value of my home versus the square footage of my land? Why, why? because I put a, a built-in pool in my backyard, that my real estate taxes have to go up? Why, because I finished my basement, my real estate taxes go up? Paul, explain this to me. I haven't been able to figure that out. What does that have to do with anything? <laughs> I mean, it really, what's that have to do with anything? You know, so when, when you're thinking about improving your house, you better realize that not only is it going to cost you 30000 for the built-in pool, it's going to cost you maybe 500 more a year uh, in property taxes. I never understood that. Now, many people and, 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 and banks and the government has facilitated this is you could buy a home with very little down. Not so much right now in this market, but 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 you can 5 percent, 10 percent. Even some veterans programs, you could put down nothing. And the problem with that is that you're, uh, number one, 100% financed, which means that your mortgage payment's higher. Number two, you have no skin in the game, meaning that if the, the, the property value goes down in a recession or rising interest rates like we're experiencing now, it's easy to walk away from that house. If you have a negative equity in the house, say you bought it for 10% down, and it drops 20%. You got a negative 10% equity. And you're struggling to make the mortgage payments. Aren't you incentivized to walk away? And it's not going to be long before the majority of homes in America are going to be underwater. And at the same time, when, when 67% of American families are paycheck to paycheck, and we enter recession and that paycheck disappears... Uh, you're going to see a housing crisis like we haven't seen before. Forget 2008. That's nothing. So what's the solution to this? How do you do go about buying a house smartly? Number one, down payment. If you can't put down 20%, you can't afford a house. That's my number one rule. Because you're going you're gonna to walk away. If you don't have a substantial down payment, you're going to walk away. 
because you're going to have little or nothing invested. Now, walking away isn't that easy because uh, it's going to ruin your credit, obviously. But sometimes you have no choice. But when you put down 20%, it gives you a cushion. You know, the market goes down somewhat. You say, all right, you know, I, chances are over time it's going to go back up and my, my, my down payment isn't at risk. Number two, scale down. You don't need this gigantic home. Think of that as a stepping stone. I said Americans sell their homes every seven years. Buy a reasonably priced, modest home as your first home. Unless you win the lottery, then that's a different story. Hey, Paul, you ever watch that show with that, that guy that sells houses to people who win the lottery? Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, he's quite an interesting guy. Yes. <laughs> I'm not going to get in trouble today. I'm not going to say anything. But, um, yeah, he's part of the alphabet people. <laughs> and and uh, it's a good show, actually. My wife always has it on. Those people could afford houses that are 800000 That's the thing, too. You watch these real estate shows, and... I can't believe how much money people pay for homes, right? 800000 900000 a million, too. And the homes aren't really that great if you look at them in certain areas. And I guess, you know, people who want to be close to the city and all that stuff. I can't believe people would pay that much for a house. But scale down. Buy a home that, that that's functioning for you and the size of your family uh, that won't financially squeeze you. Because too many Americans now, uh, so much of their income is going to their home payment. When I say home payment, I mean mortgage, interest, real estate taxes, utilities, upkeep. That there's nothing left to enjoy life with. There's nothing left to put into your, your savings, your 401k, your college fund. Again, cars and homes, those decisions drive everything in your financial life. And again, Americans feel entitled. We feel that we deserve the best. We're always trying to keep up with the Joneses, your friends who have these nice homes. You know, you see people with nice homes, you think they're rich. They're poor. (laughs) That's what they are. All their money's going into their house. They owe a ton of money on it. Now, the problem nowadays with the price of homes, even a modest home is hard to afford. Another thing about homes, especially more expensive ones, is that there's one thing you can control in your costs, real estate taxes. You could have a fixed rate mortgage and the mortgage, uh, the, the, the principal and interest payment remains the same, but the variable is real estate taxes and insurance. You may be able to f- afford the home today, but two years from now when your town raises your, your real estate taxes $1,000 a year or 2000 or 5000 whatever it is. Maybe you can't afford it at that time. Now you're forced to sell it. Maybe not at at a good time. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't own a home. Home ownership is is the goal of everybody because uh, home ownership, at least traditionally, was uh, where people built wealth because homes, not always, but the trend in homes always uh, over the course of time is higher. You have recessions, you have housing crises, you have downturns, which is always a great time to buy, by the way. Not at the top of the market. 
Oh, it's just a year ago that people were paying thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars over asking price. Ridiculous. That's certainly not the time to to buy. Time to buy is when everybody's uh, being foreclosed on. So let's talk financing. If you're going to buy a home, only take a fixed rate mortgage, fifteen or thirty year. That's up to you. Obviously, if you can take the fifteen year and you can afford the payment. You'll pay your house off sooner, assuming you don't sell it prior to 15 years. And the beauty of fixed rate mortgages is that, they're A, they're simple to understand. The lender can't change the terms of the mortgage. Again, your property taxes can increase. But at least you know what the, what, what, what the financing costs will be. Understand your mortgage before you sign on to it. Mortgages can be complicated. Understand the mortgage term, the interest rate throughout the term, all the costs and fees you're going to have to pay up front, the closing cost. If you have an adjustable rate mortgage. Now, sometimes an adjustable rate mortgage makes sense. Say you're going to, you think you're going to buy your first house uh, but you know you're only going to keep it four or five years, maybe six years. And right now, mortgage rates are 7%, but you can get an, a, a five-year adjustable rate mortgage, meaning that for five years, it'll stay the same interest rates, then it'll adjust. Well, right now, you can get a five-year adjustable rate mortgage for under six. Well, if you say, well, I'm going to sell the house in five years, then that's the way to go because you don't have to worry about the adjustments. And you'll save a ton of money over those five years because you have a lower interest rate. But if you think that this is going to be the house and I'm going to keep long term, you don't want an adjustable rate mortgage because all of a sudden uh, the cost of living there is just going to could go up quite a bit. Uh, again, I, I, I reiterate that now, now this is a chapter in my book, just like the car, uh, you know, car segment I did last week. This is this is from the chapter in my book on how to buy a house, how to buy cars. And they're the two most important chapters in the book because, as I said before, it's cars and homes that make all the difference, your decisions on that. So if, if you're thinking about buying a home or buying a car, uh, you have a loved one, a child, a grandchild who's just getting married and looking at homes, tell them to get a copy of the book. And don't buy a home until you read the chapter on buying a home. And it's free of charge. My book is free. Just go to thefinancialphysician.com, download the PDF file. It's right there. If anybody wants a hard copy, email me at lou at thefinancialphysician.com. I'll mail you one. But you can get a, a, a beautiful PDF file of the book at thefinancialphysician.com. You can just download it. So cars and homes, very important. Another mistake that a lot of Americans make is um, they use their house as an ATM. What do I mean by that? That they start growing equity. Uh, you know, prices of homes went up a lot the last four or five years. Uh, so you bought a house for three hundred; it's now five hundred thousand, and you got all that equity in there. Uh, and you say, you know what? Let me get a home equity loan. I want to put a pool in the backyard. Uh, or I need to pay off credit cards, uh, or I want a new car. Um, and now you start eating into the equity of the house. 
because that's your only source of money for many people. And again, we're living above our means, so maybe we're using our credit cards more than we really should, or maybe uh, we haven't saved for college for our child, and the only way we could finance it besides taking out loans is to uh, use uh, the equity in my house. And that's a big problem, and, and I see it as a, as a certified financial planner with people coming to me to retire. And I asked them, why do you have so much mortgage debt on your home at 60 years old? And more often than not, they tell me, you know, college was a big part of it, or that they just kept getting behind on credit cards, and, and they would use the equity to pay down those credit cards. But the answer simply is too much house, too much, too much cars. They were living above their means and they were using the appreciation of their house to finance that where my parents and grandparents would use that equity to finance their retirement. And for many Americans, their number one retirement plan is the equity in their home. And it's a great retirement plan if it's left alone. A, it's tax-free. Most retirement plans, you've got to pay taxes when you take that money out. You sell your house and pull out two, three 300000 in equity, that's tax-free. If you're married, you could have a 500000 capital gain tax-free. If you're single, you could have a 250000 capital gain tax-free. That's a great retirement plan. But not many people nowadays allow their equity to grow. They cannibalize it. So when you're thinking about buying a home, the first thing you want to do is to figure out what you could afford, how much you're going to have to borrow, what the carrying costs are going to be, what the closing costs are going to be. Number one, down payment. As I said before, you got to put 20% down. If you can't, you can't afford a home. So if you could put down uh, 50000 times it by five. You could afford a $250,000 house. If you could put 100000 down, you could afford a $500,000 house. Boy, that's not hard math, right? That's how you figure out what, what house I could afford. And that's what you look for. But again, it's so hard for young couples. Right now, we have a record low number of first-time homebuyers. Because they can't save the down payment. Uh, the mortgage rates are so high that they can't afford the mortgage payment. And the real estate prices are so high. All right, so once you figure out how much down payment you're going to have, you can figure out how much house you can buy. Five times. Next thing you have to look at is the carrying cost. This is the amount you're going to have to pay each month, your total housing expenses. Principal and interest on the mortgage, real estate taxes, insurance. Those are the three main ones. And one thing about homeowners insurance, boy, it's got real expensive over the years. I mean, I remember, again, you know, I'm getting old. <laughs> so I remember, I don't remember much, <laughs> but what I do remember, um, uh, I remember paying 500 a month, uh, 500 a year for my, my homeowners insurance on my home. Now it's almost 2000 But a few years ago, I got I got my revenge. A big hailstorm came through my community, 
and somehow damaged my roof. And I, I think I think we hit the insurance company for almost thirty grand by the time it was all done. So I I got a return on my investment. Then I think my premium went up the next year, probably. Right. Uh, so you have to know the carrying costs. Also include utilities, especially nowadays. Gas, electric, water, cable, trash collection. That's another thing. Is trash collection free? Is it part of your real estate taxes or are you paying a separate company? Uh, when I lived in Jackson, I had a separate bill to waste management every month. Uh, now where I live, it's part of the municipal services. So I don't pay for waste. Um, look into that. Find out about that. But again, I mean, nowadays, you got to think of the utilities to heat your home, the electric for your home. Obviously, the bigger the home, the more those costs are going to be. I just can't believe natural gas bills now. I mean, I I, I just was blindsided by it. Uh, I have automatic payment, so it comes out of my checking account. So I don't actually look at the bill and write out a check. And I was going through my bank records, and I saw over $600 a month in my house for natural gas. It's outrageous. <laughs> it really is. I love my gas fireplace. I run it all the time. I think that's that's the culprit right there. All right, how about thinking of your house payment as a percent of your income? Financial planners uh, generally will say that your carrying costs should not exceed 28% of your gross monthly income. That's before taxes. All right, so if your gross monthly income is $6,000 a month, 28% of that is $1,680 a month. Now, if your carrying costs, meaning property taxes, insurance, et cetera, are $450 a month, you can only pay $1,230 for your mortgage and interest. With a 7% mortgage rate, you're not going to get a whole lot of house. And think about 6000 a month gross income is 72000 a year. Certainly not poor, not rich. But for $1,230 a month, you probably could afford a $220,000 house. Where are you going to find that? And then... Um, you got to figure out what the mortgage is going to be. Is going to be add to it your fixed court carrying cost. It should not exceed twenty eight percent of your gross income, and that's real important. And that's where people get into trouble because many Americans now their home cost carrying cost of their home is forty percent of their income, and with inflation, you know, affecting groceries and gasoline and everything else, there, there's no wiggle room there. All right, so uh, you got to figure out what you could afford, and then you got to look at the closing costs. Buying a house isn't cheap. There's all kinds of closing costs. Points on a mortgage. What's a point? A point is a percent. So you may pay two or three points at closing to get the mortgage. And a lot of times what lenders will do is you'll get a lower interest rate the more points you pay. So you're paying it basically up front as opposed to amortizing it over the over the time of the loan. Legal fees. 
You're going to have to prepay your escrow for your uh, first six months of real estate taxes and, and mortgage um, and uh, insurance. And a lot of young people, you know, are surprised when they buy a house. They scrape together the down payment and they buy the house and they realize that they got to come up with 15000 at closing. How good is your credit? Before you go house hunting, learn how good your credit is. Because that's going to determine whether or not you can get a mortgage and, and what the interest rate's going to be. And don't put yourself through the agony of finding a house that you love and finding out you don't qualify for a large enough mortgage to get it. So the first thing you want to do is check out your credit report. This is easy to do, and everybody should do this. I mean, you can get a copy of your credit report every four months because each of the three credit agencies will give you a free copy every year. So if you stagger them every four months, every year, every you know, each credit bureau is once a year, but if you stagger them, you can get one every four months from each of the different credit agencies. And if you want to get it before years up, it'll cost you a small fee. You're certainly going to want to know um, your FICO score. FICO scores range from 300 to 800. The higher, the better. So what's a good credit score? Well, over 650 is good. Over 700 is better. And obviously, if you can get into the 800s, that's best. But if you're in the 700s, you're pretty good. Now, if your credit score is poor, you can't buy a house. You just got to hold off until you improve your credit. Another big deal, get pre-approved for a mortgage. So a mortgage lender will tell you, we are committed to lending you 400000 at this interest rate. Now, sometimes that interest rate can fluctuate. It's not locked in. Sometimes it is. Now, why is that important? Because of something called contingencies. You know, if you're in competition to buy a home, the seller is going to sell it to somebody who doesn't have contingencies. A contingency being that I have to get a mortgage. Well, if somebody comes in, two people are willing to pay the same amount of price and one person is pre-approved for the mortgage and the other person hasn't even applied yet, I'm going with the pre-approved person. And not to mention, you'll know exactly how much house you could shop for. Now, many people um, will use a real estate agent to represent you. How do you do that? Uh, Mostly by word of mouth, friends and family, ask them if they know somebody. That's good. Obviously, experience goes into that as well. A good agent's going to f- help you find a home, negotiate the price, secure a mortgage, advise you through closing, and, and real estate agents are very valuable in this process. A good one. Now, of course, you use real estate agents to sell your home too, but you know we're talking about the buy side. Inform your agent about your priorities. What features in a home is important to you? 
and that agent will be able to go and find a home that fits your needs and your cost and everything else. Also, before you buy a home, you want to know where you want to live, right? They say the most important consideration in buying real estate is location, 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 right? So you got to decide where you want to live. And, and, and the options are they're virtually endless. What town you want to live in, what neighborhood in that town, what street. Maybe you want to live where there's a really good school district. Or you want to live a place that has a lot of children and, and has a lot of open land and parks for them to play in. Maybe you want to be in a rural zone because you want to keep a horse. Some people like city life. Other people hate it. So one of the things to do before you even start looking for a home is just casually drive around different neighborhoods, different towns. And find out what appeals to you. And when you find out, you know, where you want to live, you know, check out those areas. Check out the, go on Zillow.com and find out what the prices of homes are there. You know, you see a home uh, that's just like you like, that's your ideal kind of home. Take a picture of it and the address of it and go on Zillow and find out what Zillow says it's worth. There's an amazing amount of public information, you know. I went on Zillow and, and looked at the value of my house. I was surprised. It was higher than I thought it would be. And are they exact? No, but they're pretty fairly accurate. Fairly accurate. Another thing is don't be impulsive when you buy a house. You're going to live in a house for many years. You don't want to be impulsive and buy the first home that seems right to you. Regardless how hard the real estate agent or your spouse is pressing you. There's tons of homes on the market, always, especially during bad times, and, and, and new ones pop up every day. And and I was that way, too. You know, when my wife and I were looking for our first home, I don't know if she even remembers this, we found a lovely house the first weekend we were looking. In many ways, it wasn't really quite right, uh, but we were eager to own our first home and we convinced ourselves that, that we can make it work. And we got really kind of excited about it. We made an offer. Somebody else beat us to it and offer uh, more than we did. And their offer was accepted. So we were heartbroken. We were kind of crushed. But we continued to look. A few weeks later, we found a great home. The home of our dreams. Brand new. Still under construction. We were able to pick out the colors and the cabinets and all that other stuff. It was more practical. Uh, it had more land. Uh, it was in a nicer neighborhood. And it was a much better financial deal. And we lived there 22 years. And it was, it was our dream home. I mean, it really was beautiful. We had beautiful grounds and woods. And, 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 but if we would have took the first one, we would have settled. So, uh, you know, if you take your time, it makes a lot of sense. So home purchases, it's a wonderful thing. It's the American dream to have your home. Uh, but make sure you're making a huge financial commitment, the biggest financial commitment you're going to make in your life. 
and coupled with your decisions on automobiles, uh, it's going to make a difference in your financial health. And I think too many people uh, rush into home ownership that really aren't financially uh, ready for it. And they pay the price either through uh, struggling to, to just maintain it or to lose the home or to have to sell it at an inopportune time because it's too hard to carry. Uh, and life happens. That's another thing you got to be prepared for. What happens if you suddenly lose your job? I mean, that's always a risk uh, unless you're self-employed. What will happen to you? Will you be able to get by? Will you be able to keep that house? If you're out of work for eight months, what if you have a health issue? Are you going to be able to uh, put the money into it to maintain it? Many houses that you could afford need a lot of work. And that's another thing, the cost of a house. I didn't mention it earlier is that, you know, you're buying somebody else's house. Unless it's brand new. Uh, you're buying somebody else's house. It's not your house. My wife and I hated the fixtures and stuff in the bathrooms of our house. They were gold. They were really old fashioned and whatnot. Uh, and we had to replace everything. We had to re- we had to redo the bathroom. We had, we had to redo the kitchen. We had to redo the fireplace. It was horrible. So you had to put a lot of money into the house. You know, is it moving ready for you? Are you going to be accepting of of the kitchen the way it is, or are you going to have to put in thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars to make it yours? What if the the basement isn't finished and you have uh, three kids and you you got to finish that basement so the kids have a place to play? You got to figure all that stuff into it. So anyway, right now, first time home buyers are, are absolutely screwed. They can't get the down payment. They can't afford the the monthly payment. Interest rates are at 7% again. And for the first time since they started recording this stuff, first-time homebuyers made up the smallest share of sales last year at 26%. Uh, and that's sad because that's the American dream, right? But due to uh, the appreciation of homes and due to the the cost of interest that's been going up. I mean, the Fed's destroying the ability of a first-time home buyer to buy a house. The typical household income for first-time buyers soared to as much as ninety thousand in twenty twenty-two, and it was only seventy thousand in twenty nineteen. So it's quite a substantial jump up in income to be able to afford your first-time home. And the problem with that is it's the first-time home buyers that allow people to trade up. The people who bought our house five, six, seven years ago now are ready for – they have a bigger family and they're, and they're looking to, to trade up. Well, who's going to buy their home? And that affects the housing market in general. All right, homes and cars, the most important priorities, the biggest financial um, driver of your financial health. And unfortunately, Americans mess it up big time. And that's why you want to do it right. right, Let's take a break. 732-237-9626 is the call number. My name is Luska Tigna. Don't go away. Luska Tigna here, certified financial planner, president of AFM Investments, and the host of The Financial Physician. Heard every Sunday, 7 to 9 a.m. right here on 92.7 WOBM-FM. 
Hey, it's that time again. Income tax season. There has been many changes to tax rules the last few years. Some deductions have been eliminated and some have been expanded. Avoid IRS headaches by putting my 35 years tax preparation experience to work for you. I guarantee that your return will be accurate and in most cases will be prepared and ready for you in less than three business days. This season, I'm taking on a limited number of new tax clients. Call for an appointment today and receive a $100 discount off our already reasonable fee. Tax season does not have to be stressful anymore. Call and lock up your appointment at our downtown Tom's River office by calling 732-905-8100. That's 732-905-8100. AFM Investments has been providing financial planning and income tax preparation for over 35 years. Securities transactions through Lee Baldwin and Company, member FINRA, NSIPC, Registered Investment Advisory Services, through Fortitude Advisory Group. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, a family-owned and operated premier septic installation and repair company with more than a decade of experience in the septic services. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer provides full-service maintenance and cleaning services, pumping septic tanks, repairing broken sewer lines, cleaning of grease tanks for restaurants, as well as real estate septic inspections, repairs, and installations. Phone 732 or go to jerseyshoreseptic.com to learn more. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer. Top quality work at the most affordable rates. Do you have a home to sell? Do you need to buy a home? Or maybe you would like to consider a career in real estate? Well, you need to contact my brother, Mark Skatigna. He's the broker manager of Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty on Route 70 in Manchester. Mark has helped so many of my clients with either the sale of their home or to purchase a new home. All of them could not have been happier with his help. What about an exciting new career in real estate? Maybe you're finding you have more time on your hands than you would like to after retiring from your full-time job and are also looking to make some extra income. With flexible hours to still enjoy your free time and income that could be limitless, Mark could train you to be as successful as you would like to be and enjoy a rewarding career in real estate. For help with any of your real estate needs, as well as any information on a career in real estate, call my brother Mark Skatigna at Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty. His number is 732-657-6200. That's 732-657-6200. Mark Skatigna, Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty. Give him a call. You'll be happy you did. I'm Lou Skatigna, certified financial planner, author, president of AFM Investments, and the host of The Financial Physician, heard each Sunday morning, 7 to 9, right here on 92.7 WOBM, or anytime at thefinancialphysician.com. Don't let interest rates, inflation, and market volatility keep you awake at night. Come to my Tom's River office for a no-obligation professional diagnosis of your financial health. I'll review your investments, income taxes, and retirement plan. I'll suggest a comprehensive financial and estate plan that will improve your financial health and, most importantly, lower your financial risk during these uncertain times. If you are retired or plan to retire, I will show you strategies designed to increase your income and protect your estate from nursing home costs. Call us at 732-905-8100 and get on the road to a healthy financial future. That's 732-905-8100. Join me Sunday morning, 7 to 9 for The Financial Physician right here on 92.7 WOBM or listen to the podcast at thefinancialphysician.com. Securities transactions through Lee Baldwin and Company, member of FINRA and SIPC, Registered Investment Advisory Service to afford Advisory Group. The following is a paid program. Views contained with it do not necessarily reflect those of the staff management or sponsors of Town Square Media. Call the financial physician now at 732-237-9626. Here's Luz Katigna. By the way, the views of the host should be the views of the station, the management, Paul, everybody. <laughs> Paul's left. Um because our views are correct views about almost everything. 
Anyway, I'm just kidding. Uh, if you miss any of our show here, uh, you're just tuning in, you're getting going into church, and you don't want to turn your radio off, don't worry about it. You can listen to the entire program at thefinancialphysician.com, where the podcast is available at 9 o'clock, 9.05. Uh, the full two-hour program is available on the website, thefinancialphysician.com. You can download it and listen to it while you're... You're doing your daily walk, you're working out, or you're in your car, um, you could uh, listen to the show anytime. That's thefinancialphysician.com, and you've made us the number one financial podcast uh, at Podomatic, and I really appreciate that. Appreciate you sharing it with friends, family. Put it on your social media. Say, listen to this guy. Put it on websites that you think could benefit by it. That's uh, thefinancialphysician.com. Love your emails, Lou, L-O-U, at the financialphysician.com you uh, have a personal finance issue that I could push in the right direction or you have a comment on the program uh, you want to call me a jerk uh, or um, you want me to cover something on the show just just uh, email me at lou at the financialphysician.com uh, love your emails and I answer each and every one or at least I try to if I don't it's because I didn't see it Let's talk about financial markets this week. Uh, markets did fairly well this week. The Dow was up one and a quarter percent year to date, down just under one percent, three quarters of one percent uh, year to date return in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. The S and P five hundred up one point nine percent, up five point three seven percent for the year. It's pretty significant divergence between the Dow and the S and P. I mean. They're usually not that far off, but last year on the downside, the S&P was down much more than the Dow. Uh, the NASDAQ was down even more than the S&P. Uh, on the upside, it's just the opposite. The Dow's only up three quarters of 1% for the year. The S&P 500 is up 5.37% for the year. And the NASDAQ was up 2.58% for the week, up 11.68% for the year. So the NASDAQ's up double the S&P. Uh, the S&P is up uh, seven times what the Dow is. Kind of interesting. So when you say how the stock market's doing this year, well, it depends. Depends what part of the stock market you're in. Uh, let's look at the 10-year bond. The 10-year bond is almost at 4% again. Interest rates are on the rise again. You know, we had a brief uh, period where interest rates started coming down. In the bond market. Now, the Fed controls interest rates, the federal funds rate, but the bond market is the free market. It determines interest rates. What p- people are willing to to, to pay for, for 10-year money. And uh, it went down as low. I think I, I, think I saw the, the 10-year bond uh, a few weeks back uh, at uh, 3.35%, 3.38%. It closed this week at um, 3.96%. And it was briefly over 4% Wednesday or Thursday. So interest rates are on the rise again. And that's not a good thing. You know, we talked about buying a house, right? Uh, it's not a good thing because the mortgage rates are tied to the 10-year treasury bond. And the 10, 10-year treasury bond yield is going up, which means mortgage rates are going up as well. So the 30-year fixed rate mortgage now, um, na- nationwide average is 6.97%. So right about 7%, uh, my guess is we'll probably go over that this week, which is very negative for the housing market. Uh, We have a housing disaster ahead of us. We really do. That's going to make 2008, 2009 look like nothing. If you're thinking about buying a house, we're talking about buying a house before, this is not the time to do it. 
This is not the time to do it. A, interest rates are too high. B, housing prices are too high and going to come down. The worst thing you could do now is go out and buy a house to see it down 20 or 30% next year. This is not the time to be a buyer. Yeah, my brother's a real estate agent. He's biting his, he's done right now. Hello, what are you doing? I'll hear it later. Uh, but it really isn't. It is the time to rent and bide your time. Save up more money. Yeah, I know, rents are high. And a lot of people say, hey, you know, I'm flushing my money down the toilet when I rent. I'm not building any equity. Well, I'd rather flush my money down the toilet and not build up any equity than lose 30%. There's certain times when owning a home is good and certain times that owning a home is not good. This is not this is one of those times. And the reason I tell you to wait is because it's going to be more affordable to you six months or a year down the line. And you may be paying as, as 30% less for a home a year from now. And maybe a year from now we're in recession and the Federal Reserve is starting to lower interest rates and mortgage rates start to come down. See, there's two things that go into the affordability of housing. It's, it's mortgage rates and mortgage price and uh, housing prices. Right now, both of those things are not in your favor. So wait. Oil prices went up this week, uh, 79.86 a barrel from about 74 last week. Um, significant increase in, in, in oil prices. <coughs> Gasoline is still uh, relatively cheap. I saw a 320 coming in today. Uh, but my guess is we're going to start seeing gasoline prices go higher uh, with the price of oil over the next couple of weeks. Uh, Gold uh, had a decent week, uh, up to eighteen hundred and fifty-six dollars an ounce. Silver twenty-one twenty-six an ounce. Uh, Bitcoin uh, down for the week twenty-two thousand three hundred and forty-five dollars for a Bitcoin. I still don't know what a Bitcoin is, but it costs twenty-two thousand dollars for one. <laughs> I never, you can never hold it. Uh, I don't know what a Bitcoin is. Uh, and I'm not going to pay 22000 for one. I'm sorry. I'm not. So the theme the last couple of weeks were, you know, houses and cars, right? You know, houses and cars. Destroy your life with the wrong decisions on houses and cars. And most Americans make the wrong decisions on houses and cars. Um, but this is a headline that came out this week regarding home, uh, regarding cars. Quote, it's going to bite us. Upside-down auto loan surge. Consumers face increasing financial difficulties due to high inflation, rising interest rates, maxed-out credit cards, lack of personal savings, and nearly two years of negative real-wage growth, resulting in an emerging distress cycle for subprime auto loans. Bloomberg reported that auto dealers had noticed an alarming rise in customers who trade in their vehicles with negative equity of $10,000 or more. Quote, as trading values begin to cool each month, more and more consumers will find themselves falling from positive to negative equity. Unless American car shoppers break their habit of buying again too soon, we'll see the negative equity tide continue to rise. So there's a perfect storm hitting the, the auto market right now. 
which is we have people who just can't afford uh, their cars because the payments are at record highs. People uh, are, are being squeezed in, in the groceries and gasoline and, 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 and possibly losing their jobs. Uh, people owe more in their cars than a car is worth because every time they trade in a car, you know, when you trade in a car with negative equity, Meaning that, say, say you owe, you owe twenty thousand on the car, and the car is worth fifteen thousand, and you want a new car. Well, the car dealer is going to accommodate you. They're going to say, "All right, no problem. All right, we're just going to roll over that five thousand dollar loss into the new loan." So, the moment you drive out that new car, you're thirty percent underwater. <laughs> You've already lost thirty percent of the value of the car, uh, and you have no equity. I mean. A car is one of the few things that you're guaranteed to lose money on. And the amount you lose is obviously going to be predicated on the down payment you put, uh, the first year depreciation, and so forth. Uh, The latest consumer credit report from the Federal Reserve revealed an exponential spike in the number of new car loans, which increased by more than $2,000 in one quarter. From just over 38,000 to a record 40,155. So uh, the average car loan right now is over $40,000. That's ridiculous. And since the average person can't afford a four year car loan for $40,000, because the payment's like over a thousand bucks, they're opting for longer financing 72 months. And two out of every uh, 13 individuals are making monthly car payments of $1,000 or more. Uh, $1,000 a month for a car payment. You wonder why Americans have no no net worth when they retire. Uh, but we're, we're, the car dealers and, 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 and banks, you know, are really worried about, you know, a coming tsunami of repossessions and, and so forth. Uh and and even if you can't afford it, it's putting you on the financial edge because I mean, it's just so expensive. And in most families, there's two car payments, and that's a big deal. Uh, we've been talking about uh, in the past. We talked a lot about Social Security, and there's a lot of talk about you know when Social Security is going to go broke, and. Uh, it is going to go broke if no changes are made to it. And it's more and more people. What is it? 10,000 people a day more are entering Social Security. 10,000 a day. That counts people who are dying and leaving Social Security and then the new baby boomers retiring. The net amount change is plus 10,000. That's that's quite a bit of extra money that Social Security is laying out. And Social Security is the biggest Ponzi scheme there is. I mean, it's a definition of a Ponzi scheme. People who are working now are paying for the people who retired. Now, you think all the money that you paid into Social Security, you and your employer over the course of your lifetime, is in some account somewhere. It's not. It's all been spent by the government for the general expenses and budget of the government. It's gone. They talk about the Social Security Trust Fund. You know what the Social Security Trust Fund is? Treasury bonds. (laughs) Money borrowed by the government that's owed to Social Security. 
So the only way Social Security pays out benefits is through the deductions of people who are working now. It's a Ponzi scheme. That's, that's what a Ponzi scheme is. The problem is when Social Security started, two things were happening. People were getting Social Security at 65 and dying at 67. Now people get Social Security at 65 and live to be 95. Number two, there was 13 workers for every retired person. Now that's two and a half. And that's going to continue to drop. So something needs to be done, but nobody wants to, nobody has the political will to do anything about it because you saw what happened in this last election. One Republican senator brought up the topic of we have to look at entitlements and figure out how we're going to make them work. And all you, all Biden kept saying is that Republicans want to take away your Social Security and Medicaid, right? So it's the third rail, rail of politics. But this week, a group of bipartisan senators are discussing raising the retirement age on Social Security to 70. Uh, a group of senators led by Angus King, who's an independent from Maine, and Bill Cassidy, a Republican from Louisiana, are considering raising the retirement age. Now, the senators are insisting there are no cuts for Americans currently receiving Social Security. So, you know, this is the scare tactic that mainly Democrats like to use every election cycle. You know, the um, the Republicans want to, you know, throw grandma off the cliff. You remember that one? Uh, uh, they want to cut your Social Security. Well, I cut my Social Security. I can't vote for those damn Republicans. And there's no Republican or Democrat that's ever that I know of suggested that people getting benefits get them cut. It's all about future beneficiaries of Social Security, when they take it, how much they get, and so forth. Now, given the fact that Americans are living longer, I mean, raising the full retirement age makes sense, doesn't it? Because many people are, you know, they're getting Social Security at 62, and they're young, healthy, 62. Do they really need to have Social Security at that point? Full retirement age is 67, you know, for, for me, I'm 63. So for most people now that, that are going to be retiring, you know, you're looking at 67. We can get full retirement benefits. They want to move that to 70. Now, the question is, are they going to move the minimum age from 62 up to 65? Now, I agree that they should do this. And I say that because I won't be affected by it <laughs> because if the, and that's the thing, too. A lot of people are getting freaked out when they see something like this because they say, look, I'm uh, I'm 60 years old. You know, my goal is to re- get full retirement at 67 or or to retire at 65. They're not going to screw around with that on me. No, they won't. I can't see any proposal that will affect anybody that's 55 or older. I, I think they're talking, you know, younger people that aren't going to immediately be affected by that. And that makes it a lot more palatable politically. Because if I'm 40 years old and you're going to raise the Social Security age to, you know, 65 minimally, 70 for full retirement, eh, that's years away. I'm not really worried about it today. And I don't think it's going to motivate me, you know, to vote Democrat. But if you scare people who are already depending on Social Security and tell them they're going to cut your Social Security, that's a whole different political situation. Um, they also have another proposal that they're talking about, 
and that's changing the existing formula that calculates the monthly benefits from one based on a worker's average earnings over 35 years to a different formula that's based instead on a number of years spent working and paying into Social Security. So the more you earn, the more obviously is going into your Social Security account, right? If you earn 50000 and, you know, 16% is going into Social Security between, well, it's actually more like 15, uh, between your employer's contribution and your deduction for FICA, uh, uh, that's going to be a lot less going into the system than somebody who makes 130000 a year and has that same percent coming out. So you're rewarded for that. You're rewarded for having more money going to your theoretically Social Security account, which there is not. Uh, and that makes sense. So, you know, if you, you made a lot more money, you're going to get maybe 3000 a month at full retirement age, where somebody who earned a lot less may be getting 1500 a month. Well, they're saying, well, maybe we should change that and make it more equitable. There's that word. Because, you know, lower income people tend to be non-white. So it's not fair. It's racist that certain people get a higher Social Security payment than others. There's also another proposed thing here, which sounds kind of wacky. The plan also includes a proposed sovereign wealth fund that could be seeded with $1.5 trillion or more in borrowed money to jumpstart stock investments. If it fails to generate an 8% return, both the maximum total Social Security income that is taxed for FICA uh, and the payroll tax rate would both be increased until uh, to keep Social Security solvent for 75 years. That's what they're proposing. So, you know, here, here we're going to borrow one and a half trillion dollars, okay, and we're going to start buying stocks with it to help fund Social Security. And in any year that it doesn't get 8% return, taxes go up. Unworking people. I know that's that's a little harder to take for most people, I think. Anyway, top of the hour, 732-237-9626 is the call number. My name is Lou Skatignet. Don't go away. It's time for Americans to grow up and become financially responsible. Let's talk about something important. If you're in it for the money, that's not a bad thing. Do you realize how much money he just saved us? This is The Financial Physician with Lou Scatigna. The Financial Physician. It's the fastest hour in Money Talk Radio. It's also my pleasure to see to it that decent, hardworking people in this community aren't robbed blind by a pack of money-mad pirates. This is financial advice you can take to the bank. He's your money man. Show me the money. Your source for straightforward, no-nonsense financial advice. Bring me your money questions, because I'm here to help. And now, here he is, the financial physician, America's money doctor, Lou Scatigna. All right, time for hour two of our two-hour program, The Financial Physician, where we get together live each and every Sunday, 7 to 9 a.m., right here on 92.7 WOBM, or anytime at the podcast, which is located at thefinancialphysician.com. Uh, Paul will have it up right after the show's over, so you're just waking up, just tuning in, 
uh, or you're going into church and you're going to miss the second hour, no need to worry about that. Just uh, go to thefinancialphysician.com. You know, we were on for many, many years, 9 to 11 on the AM side. Uh, and so many of you are so used to listening to the show 9 to 11 where you're having your breakfast. And many of you just put on the podcast um, uh, 5 after 9, 10 after 9. Uh, and listen to the show like you always have, and you'll know no difference whether it's live or not. Uh, the only thing is on a podcast, you could jump through the breaks and listen to the show uh, quicker than the two-hour live show. So I don't care how you listen to the program as long as you listen and uh, uh, listen to the entire two hours. So go to thefinancialphysician.com and listen to the podcast if you miss any of our live program. If you want to listen live and you're not on the Jersey Shore, you don't get WOBM, um, go to either uh, – thefinancialphysician.com and hit the listen live button on the radio tab and you can listen to it streaming wherever you are or get the WOBM app. Go to the app store, get the WOBM app and you can listen live. Just hit the listen live button on the app and you can listen to the program live. Um, again, we don't care how you listen to the show as long as you listen each and every week and share it with your friends and family. We really do appreciate that. Love your emails, Lou at thefinancialphysician.com uh, if you have a comment on the program or something I can help you with. Love those help. I love when I can help somebody and clarify something and provide them with the right direction in their financial life. All right. Now, uh, Paul, do you like steak? Do you like beef? Oh, sure. I love beef, too. And uh, I had a great skirt steak last night. Uh, uh, love skirt steaks. You know, skirt steaks used to be throwaway meat. You know, it was, you know, I remember when I was young. Uh, my dad likes skirt steaks on a barbecue, but they were like the cheapest meat you can buy because nobody wanted to eat it, you know, for some reason. It was like $2 a pound. Now it's like $12 a pound. It's expensive. It's one of the most expensive cuts of meat you can get is a skirt steak. Very flavorful. Very good. Anyway, if you like steak and you like beef, you're not going to like this headline. The number of beef cows in the U.S. drops to the lowest level since 1962. As the global food crisis intensifies, all right, this is it. I mean, we had the, the the pandemic crisis, the vaccine crisis, which we'll talk about a little later, which is going to be the biggest crisis in human history. Uh, and now we have a food crisis. We have a war crisis, which we'll talk about in a second. Where are all these crises coming up at the same time? Could there be a plan here? I don't know. Uh, well, maybe it's just bad luck. But Americans uh, need to be prepared to eat a lot less beef because the size of the national cattle herd is steadily shrinking. And again, this is happening in the context of a, a much larger crisis. I mean, we have a food crisis here. Even CNN is admitting that we're currently in the midst of the worst food crisis in modern history. And you probably don't know about this, but children are literally dropping dead from starvation on the opposite side of the planet that we live on. In Africa, uh, there is a starvation crisis going on in the world. There is famine. Now, we here in America, you know, because our stomachs are mainly full most of the time, usually with high calories, bad food. But uh, uh, our crisis here is uh, the problem in, in Africa, they're too skinny because they're starving to death. The problem here is we're all too fat because <laughs> we're eating garbage. Um but uh, the conditions are also going to be here in the United States. We're heading for uh, a very bad food crisis. You know, in the United States, we've never really experienced, I guess in the Dust Bowl days we did, but a food crisis. 
there is a shortage of food. Think about that. I was two years old in 1962. Uh, what are they saying here? There is uh, 28.9 million beef cows, which are those explicitly bred for slaughter and meat sales as of the start of this year, which is down nearly 4% from last year and the lowest the agency has recorded since 1962. Well, in 1962, there was 184 million people in the United States. Today, there's 331 million. Two and a half times. So we have a problem here. Um, and we're going to have a shortage of, of meat. Now, you got to understand, too, we, we didn't have a shortage recently because, if you recall, and you remember, you heard it on the show, that ranchers were bringing their cows to slaughter prematurely last year because of the drought. There was uh, no food for these these cows to eat, these cattle to eat. So instead of them starving to death, uh, they they sent them for slaughter early. So we had a spike in the meat supply. Now beef prices are still going up, but it was available. What's going to happen now? According to livestock economist Kenny Burdine, cattle production's downward trend does not seem like it will reverse in 2023. The corporate media is already calling beef, quote, a luxury meat. And, you know, if you can get it, you know, you'll be able to get it most of the time. It's going to be much more expensive than it is now. Now, famine is when you don't have food available to eat. But what's the difference if you have it available to eat, but you can't afford it? (laughs) It's the same exact thing, isn't it? Uh, If you like beef, you should stock up now. The best investment you can make these days is extra freezers. A, because meat is going to be much more expensive. Whether it's chicken, beef, pork, it doesn't matter. It's going to be more expensive if you can get it. So why not stock up your freezers now? It's a good investment. But uh, we're really starting to see food shortages intensifying around around the globe right now. And you don't see it here uh, yet. But certainly it's happening. Especially in low-income countries. Africa, and so forth. In North Korea, you know, it's hard to get information out of North Korea, um, but apparently ordinary citizens are dropping dead on the street every day from starvation. There's a severe famine going on in North Korea. Not that Kim Jong-un is uh, missing a meal. <laughs> you know, he, he, he's, he's enjoying his champagne and his steak and everything else there while all his people are dropping dead in starvation. Uh, in Somalia, the longest and most severe drought in the country's history uh, is causing unprecedented suffering. Um, about 1.3 million people, 80% women and children, have been internally displaced in Somalia by drought, sweeping the Horn of Africa. Close to 23 million people are thought to be highly food insecure in Somalia, Ethiopia, and Kenya. 
But sadly, most of us here in the Western world don't give a crap about those poor people on the other side of the world. We really don't. But let's take a look at the Western world. Maybe we do care about that. In the United Kingdom, the largest supermarkets are now rationing many fruits and vegetables. I was surprised to see this. Uh, UK's largest supermarket, Tesco, and discounter Aldi, they have an Aldi there, I guess, have said they are putting limits on three per customer on sales of tomatoes, peppers, and cucumbers. Morrison's, another supermarket in England, uh, set limits on uh, two on cucumbers, tomatoes, lettuce, and peppers. I found this to be disturbing. It's reported that approximately 22% of all British households skip meals or even fasted for a whole day in January. That's how bad it is. From the cost of living crisis that they're dealing with and uh, the availability of food. This, this is really happening in the world right now. And it's just the beginning. We are living in times that are just unprecedented in so many different ways. And are you prepared for it? That's the question, really. Uh, Where do we want to go next? Uh, There's just so much craziness going on out there. This week is uh, the CPAC convention, the conservative convention that's, that's held every year. And Republicans, uh, top Republicans go there to speak. Uh, the keynote speaker last night was President Trump, who's been a keynote speaker at CPAC, I think, four or five years in a row. Uh, and CPAC brings on, uh, you know, presidential, potential presidential candidates, people who want to get in the spotlight. Uh, and um, and there's a lot of highlights from that this week. Some of them pretty funny. But, you know, one of my favorite politicians Paul, you know who, who John Kennedy is, Senator Kennedy? Oh, yes. Yes, very good. From uh, Louisiana. I mean, he's a good old boy, you know. Uh, and he he's one of the few politicians that, that actually say it like it is. Uh, <laughs> he's talking about the competency of the Biden administration. Listen to what he had to say in, in ways that only John Kennedy can say it. I do not hate anyone. I look for grace wherever I can find it. So I say this gently. The Biden administration sucks. (laughs) (laughs) You may answer it any way you want. COVID, the economy, inflation, the national debt, the border, crime, cancel culture, treating parents like domestic terrorists. Afghanistan, our energy independence, now lost. My God. President Biden has been spectacularly awful. If you put President Biden in charge of the Sahara Desert, he would run out of sand. If the aliens landed in Washington, D.C. tomorrow and said, take me to your leader, it would be embarrassing. <laughs> so that's that's John Kennedy. Love John Kennedy. Uh, the Biden administration sucks. Uh, 
Is there one thing he said there, Paul, that's not true? No, everything yeah, is I mean, spot on. Spot on is right. Um, unbelievable. So it's been um, one year now. The Russia has invaded Ukraine, and it doesn't look like there's any progress to ending this thing. Uh, as a matter of fact, it looks like the West is doubling down here. Uh, and there's been a lot of propaganda uh, that has been totally wrong, but it's, it was propaganda. They were telling us that Ukraine is winning. They want you to believe that because they want you to continue to send billions of dollars there. They don't want you to send bad money in, in, in the hole, right, you know, where they're losing, which they are. Uh, so the propaganda has been coming out, you know, that um, Ukraine is winning. Well, the news out this morning is that a very, very important city in uh, eastern Ukraine Bakhmut, I think it's called Bakhmut. Uh, they were waging a battle there for seven months. And finally, I think this morning, uh, the Ukrainian forces uh, have retreated. They were saying that your life expectancy in that battle was four hours. If you were sent to that front as a Ukrainian or a Russian, mostly Ukrainians, uh, your, your life expectancy was four hours. That's how bad it was there. I mean, thousands upon thousands of people dying. Uh, and finally, they retreat. That's the thing about war. That's it's so bad. I mean, think about all the people who gave their lives there, and, and you know, killed with artillery. And, and and this is kind of like a World War One scenario. I mean, Russia was just nonstop, twenty four seven artillery into the city. I mean, if you look at that city on the news, the pictures of it, it's nothing but rubble. There's nothing there. Uh. So I don't know why you're fighting over a city that's just rubble anyway. Uh, but after all the losses there, the people who remain, the citizens who were killed, the, the homeless uh, who have no place to live, and now you retreat and you give it up. What a waste of life, huh? But, you know, we were being told that Russia wants to take over Europe. I don't believe any of that. The Russians aren't even close to occupying any place in Europe beyond eastern Ukraine right now. You know, they're not going to take over Poland. They're not going to take over uh, Germany. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I think uh, the Russians are pretty surprised at how difficult this campaign in Ukraine has been. You know, when they were going to invade Ukraine, it was going to be over in a week. And it's not. I mean, the estimates vary widely, but as many as 150 to 250,000 Ukrainian soldiers are dead. Uh, and now they are um, abducting young boys and old men to go fight at the front with a four-hour life expectancy. <laughs> That's great. So this really, you wonder if this thing can continue to go on. Um, this is far, this is going to likely end. Let's pray that it does with a negotiated settlement, contrary to what Washington wants, which they want World War Three. But right now, the Ukrainian conflict remains a regional conflict. It's, it's just Ukraine and Russia. Now, um. 
Samantha Powell, this is a Obama era. These people keep getting recycled. They don't go away. Whether it's Susan Rice, uh, Samantha Powell, she's the head of uh, the United States Agency for International Development. And she said some very revealing words on, on the war. And she admitted that the U.S. is at war with Russia and that Ukrainians are fighting it. This is what she had to say. Now, sometimes these people say things not really knowing they're being recorded and they don't think it through. But she said what other people won't say. What is at stake in Ukraine are values and interests so core to the United States. I mean, imagine just wanting your freedom and your independence. I mean, this, this country is predicated on exactly those two values. Imagine the counterfactual where we walk away or we didn't show up in the first place. And what that would mean when a dictator who has shut down civil society, shut down independent media, shut down dissenting voices in his own country, then can just turn his... Wait a second. That's Zelensky. Zelensky is shut down the media, shut down the opposition parties. He's the one who's a dictator there. They're not reporting that. He shut down all political opposition. There's no free speech. There's no free media. And she's talking about, imagine if they did this. This is, this is amazing. Sites on a neighbor and with impunity take over that country. I mean, what would that mean for our allies in Europe? What would that mean for our own security over time? So I think, you know, Americans understand bullies and the importance of standing up to bullies. At the same time, again, we're very alert to the risks, uh, given that Russia is a nuclear armed power, as you rightly uh uh, say, uh, but that that is again how we are in the position that we are in now, building a coalition of countries coming together, making sure that this isn't just the United States and Russia, uh, that this in fact is Ukrainians on the front lines, Ukrainians doing the fighting, and a coalition of fifty countries rallying behind them, and including actually today, a hundred more than one hundred and forty countries at the UN signaling still a year into the war their support for Ukraine's. So it's important to dissect what she said. First of all, you know, people in Washington, they, they like to use simplistic cliches, you know, when they talk about things. This was really silly and ridiculous. America needs to stand up to bullies. Well, yeah, if we're getting bullied, yes. I, uh, we weren't getting bullied. So what are we now? The, the, the guy in the playground that stands up for everybody? Of course. Then she said that it isn't just the United States and Russia. Well, it is. Uh, so you, you, she's basically saying this war is the United States versus Russia. And then she goes on to say that Ukrainians are doing the fighting for us. That's a pretty uh, revealing thing. And it's um, it's really got to end soon. I, I don't know how Ukraine is not open to some kind of negotiated settlement here, given the shellacking that they're taking, the, the number of people that have got killed there, uh, civilians and and and, and the military, their military is being decimated. As a matter of fact, not only is their military being decimated, ours is too, because all of our equipment and ammunitions are going over there. We don't have enough to fight a war. And uh, it seems that the West is just hell-bent on, on ratcheting this thing up. 
And I again, whenever I say this, that we should get a negotiated settlement, we should stop this, you know, people, people call me a Putin puppet. And they don't understand the dynamics here. Now, she goes on to say that, oh, we understand they're a nuclear power, and, you know, okay. So you want to antagonize and push a nuclear par- power into the corner uh, and have them what? Use their nuclear weapons? And everything's propaganda. You remember last week when, when Biden went to Kiev? Uh, of course, he made a canned speech. He, he authorized another $500 million in weapons. And then this week, there was what, another $1.5 Every week goes by, there's another billions more that we're spending there. But the real pot propaganda thing that happened when he was there. You remember Biden and Zelensky walked into an open courtyard and you heard air raid sirens begin to blare in the background. Uh, that was all staged. The Russians had been advised in advance that, that Biden would be there and they agreed not to stage any raids when he was there. And they haven't, they haven't staged any raids in Kiev for a long time, for, for at least some, some time. So there was no raid going on there. But they just wanted to make it look like, oh, look how Biden, look, look how brave he is to be in Kiev. And uh, supposedly the sanctions we put on Russia was supposed to make them stop. Uh, the Russian ruble today is stronger than it was before the war began. Their economy is actually growing. So sanctions had no bite. The only thing the sanctions did was show the rest of the world that their dollar reserves are not safe because we could take them away from them if we disagree with them. So we just staged the beginning of the end of the U.S. dollar as the reserve currency of the world, which will pay the price on inflation on that. Meanwhile, this administration does everything wrong. Everything. Uh, and the sooner that we could deal with this Ukrainian situation and get some kind of a negotiated settlement, the better for everybody involved. And it looks like now that the Russians uh, are not going to hold back anything. So what are, going to, what are we going to wait till they take over the entire country in Ukraine and then we have to worry about Poland because they're the next door neighbor and then uh, the negotiated settlement we get at that point is the entirety of Ukraine um, is Russian again. Now, I think NATO is starting to get religion here. Here's a headline. NATO members float plan for negotiations amid, quote unquote, growing doubts Ukraine can retake territory. Uh, And um, for any kind of agreement here, um, there have to be territorial concessions to Moscow. There's going to have to be. The question is now, is it just the eastern Russian-speaking area of Ukraine, or is it going to be a good bigger portion of Ukraine when Russia moves further and further into it? Because Ukrainians aren't going to win this. And the Russians will not be defeated. This, that's the biggest joke there is. There's no way Putin is going to allow his country to be defeated in Ukraine. And he stated he'd use nuclear weapons if necessary. And that's the thing. People here in the West... You know, don't know the things that Russia is saying because it's being underreported. Never in my life have I ever heard a country 
nuclear country threatening to use their nuclear weapons if they have to. And they've been doing that repeatedly. And I think if Americans heard more and more of what what they're saying there and what they're threatening, they'd be a little bit more against this war. And I'm telling you, it's very frightening. And I think the average American has no idea of the risk of this happening. So I think NATO's starting to, you're going to see a fissure in NATO soon, I think. Uh, I think we're already starting to see it with Germany. Uh, and this could risk breaking up NATO, actually. Not strengthening it. Now, uh, I, I played for you um, John Kennedy saying the Biden administration sucks and uh, whatnot. But... Um, our friends at Sky News. I haven't played Sky News in a while. Uh, I love this. Uh, what's her name? Rita Pani, Panani, whatever her name is. She was cracking up. She. They were playing uh, uh, all of Biden's blunders, and she's laughing so hard she's crying. I mean, this is what this is what the the rest of the world thinks of our our president. <laughs> Take a moment and check in on the leader of the free world, President Joe Biden, who this week was given a clean bill of health from his physician who declared Joe is healthy and vigorous and is fit to successfully execute the duties of the presidency. Mm. Bridge over the, uh, over the over the Holly River. Look, in, in Warsaw, or it should be Washoe County in Nevada. We're spending $89 billion to add several lanes. Brilliant. And Biden was this week in no mood to answer questions about his weird response to random balloons being shut down. And then he got very angry when journalists asked questions about his family's dodgy business dealings with China. Like this. And Corn Pop was a bad dude. 
said he ran a bunch of bad boys. And I did, and back in those days, you show how things have changed? One of the things you had to use, if you used pomade in your hair, you had to wear a bathing cap. Step. Those days, you used to remember the straight razor, you'd bang them on the curb, get them rusty, put them in a the rain barrel, get them rusty. I got hairy legs that turned that 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 that, that turn uh, um, blonde in the sun, and the kids used to come up and reach in the pool and rub my leg down, so it was straight, and then watch the hair come back up again. They look at it. So I learned about roaches. I learned about kids jumping on my lap. And I've loved kids jumping on my lap. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, yes, no man has ever been better equipped to lead the United States. And indeed, all of the free world and the current commander-in-chief were in good hands, folks. <laughs> They're laughing at us, people. That's what the world thinks of us. Uh, they, they're laughing at us. Meanwhile, our own media won't even call them out uh, and protect them. But this is, what, this is what the rest of the world thinks of our president. All right, let's take a quick break, and we'll be back right after this. Luce Katigna here, certified financial planner, president of AFM Investments, and the host of The Financial Physician. Heard every Sunday, 7 to 9 a.m., right here on 92.7 WOBM-FM. Hey, it's that time again, income tax season. There has been many changes to tax rules the last few years. Some deductions have been eliminated and some have been expanded. Avoid IRS headaches by putting my 35 years tax preparation experience to work for you. I guarantee that your return will be accurate and in most cases will be prepared and ready for you in less than three business days. This season, I'm taking on a limited number of new tax clients. Call for an appointment today and receive a $100 discount off our already reasonable fee. Tax season does not have to be stressful anymore. Call and lock up your appointment at our downtown Tom's River office by calling 732-905-8100. That's 732-905-8100. AFM Investments has been providing financial planning and income tax preparation for over 35 years. Securities transactions through Lee Baldwin and Company, member FINRA, NSIPC, registered investment advisory services through Fortitude Advisory Group. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, a family-owned and operated premier septic installation and repair company with more than a decade of experience in the septic services. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer provides full-service maintenance and cleaning services, pumping septic tanks, repairing broken sewer lines, cleaning of grease tanks for restaurants, as well as real estate septic inspections, repairs, and installations. Phone 732 or go to jerseyshoreseptic.com to learn more. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer. Top quality work at the most affordable rates. Do you have a home to sell? Do you need to buy a home? Or maybe you would like to consider a career in real estate? Well, you need to contact my brother, Mark Skatigna. He's the broker manager of Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty on Route 70 in Manchester. Mark has helped so many of my clients with either the sale of their home or to purchase a new home. All of them could not have been happier with his help. What about an exciting new career in real estate? Maybe you're finding you have more time on your hands than you would like to after retiring from your full-time job and are also looking to make some extra income. With flexible hours to still enjoy your free time and income that could be limitless, Mark could train you to be as successful as you would like to be and enjoy a rewarding career in real estate. For help with any of your real estate needs, as well as any information on a career in real estate, call my brother Mark Skatigna at Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty. His number is 732-657-6200. That's 732-657-6200. Mark Skatigna, Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty. Give him a call. You'll be happy you did. 
I'm Lou Scatigna, certified financial planner, author, president of AFM Investments, and the host of The Financial Physician, heard each Sunday morning, 7 to 9, right here on 92.7 WOBM, or anytime at thefinancialphysician.com. Don't let interest rates, inflation, and market volatility keep you awake at night. Come to my Tom's River office for a no-obligation professional diagnosis of your financial health. I'll review your investments, income taxes, and retirement plan. I'll suggest a comprehensive financial and estate plan that will improve your financial health and, most importantly, lower your financial risk during these uncertain times. If you are retired or plan to retire, I will show you strategies designed to increase your income and protect your estate from nursing home costs. Call us at 732-905-8100 and get on the road to a healthy financial future. That's 732-905-8100. Join me Sunday mornings, 7 to 9, for The Financial Physician right here on 92.7 WOBM or listen to the podcast at thefinancialphysician.com. Securities transactions through Lee Baldwin and Company, member of FINRA and SIPC, registered investment advisory service to afford Advisory Group. The following is a paid program. Views contained within do not necessarily reflect those of the staff management or sponsors of Town Square Media. Call the financial physician now at 732-237-9626. Here's Luz Katigna. All right, in the home stretch, final half hour of well, actually, final 20 minutes of The Financial Physician. Paul and I uh, marvel after the show how quick the two hours goes. I mean, it just started, the show. And here we are, 20 to 9, and uh, 20 minutes left in the program. So we're going to make the most of the 20 minutes that we have left. So uh, the COVID lies are now all coming to the forefront. This is the year, and I mentioned this on my forecast show on the New Year's, that this is going to be the year where it all comes out. How the epidemic started, um, the problems with the vaccines, uh, the lies that have been told to us, the propaganda, um, the trials that, that indicated that the vaccine was not safe but was covered up. Uh, and it's all coming out now. And with the Republicans in, in Congress, uh, they're going to bring Fauci in front of them and, and whatnot. And uh, my guess is, as this stuff comes out, uh, and it seems that now there's a change. The bell was rung last week. And sometimes when you have a change, you have it's a subtle change, but you've got to be aware of it. You have to be media astute like I am because nothing happens by accident. All right, nothing happens. For two years, the media hasn't touched anything that would be negative about the vaccine. Why is that? Because they're bought and paid for by Pfizer. Pfizer has used the billions of dollars that they've received from this vaccine, tens of billions of dollars, and basically bought up every media outlet by by buying advertising. And Someone said, I don't know if this is true, but I read that 75% of Fox News' revenue came from Pfizer last year. Wow. Do you think that if that was the case, that the memo wouldn't go out to all the reporters and and talent on Fox that don't question the vaccine? Uh, But it was a subtle change. And what was that subtle change? Well, first of all, Regarding the the origin of it, uh, the Energy Department came out with a classified report that blamed a lab leak for it. Not the wet market, not a bat, whatever. It came out of the Wuhan Viral Institute or whatever. 
after gain-of-function research that was financed by Dr. Fauci and the United States. That much is pretty much out there. As a matter of fact, the FBI, uh, Chrissy uh, Ray was in front of Congress this week, and he said, yeah, yeah, we at the FBI pretty much months ago and came to that conclusion. But last Saturday, on Saturday Night Live, Woody Harrelson was the host, and he gave a monologue, and he mentioned something about the entire pandemic that caused a stir especially in liberal news outlets around the country. And this is what, this is what he uh, had to say. Because like this. Now he's talking about a movie scenario. He, I, I thought up a movie scenario, he says. It goes like this. Biggest drug cartels in the world get together and buy up all the media and all the politicians and force all the people in the world to stay locked in their homes and people can only come out if they take the cartel's drugs and keep taking them over and over. I threw the script away. I mean, who is going to believe that crazy idea being forced to do drugs? I do that voluntarily all day long. Anyway, it's about that time. All right, so it seems kind of innocuous, just like a little bit of a joke. Uh, but... Uh, all the entertainment variety and those those rags that came out all said, oh, God, Woody Harrelson, he brought up the conspiracy, you know, about, about COVID and the vaccine and whatnot. Uh, but let me tell you, that does not happen by accident. Uh, he was reading off a teleprompter. NBC knew he was going to say that. And that's the point here. Is that they've gotten all the money they can out of Pfizer you can't deny now, I mean, almost everybody knows somebody who's either died from the vaccine, who has got an injury from it. We're hearing a day doesn't go by, at least in, in my uh, world, where I do a lot of research and read a lot of news sites and everything, where I don't see young people dying, dropping dead. I mean, we've seen it across the world, soccer players. We saw what happened with Damlin Hamlin. Uh, I mean, you can't avoid it anymore. People are dying from this vaccine. People are having injuries from it. Uh, And you're going to hear more and more about it. Republican lawmakers from Idaho have introduced a bill that will make it a crime to administer mRNA vaccines in the state, citing safety concerns, which would apply to COVID-19 vaccines manufactured by companies like Pfizer and Moderna. $500 fine. We have issues that this was fast-tracked. There's no liability. There's no access to data. Risk-benefit analysis has not been done. There's no informed consent. So now you got Idaho uh, wanting to make it illegal. Um, And now... The United States is ready to enter into this treaty with the World Health Organization, which gives total control, and I mentioned this last week, this is outrageous, total control over the United States health care policy on virtually anything, really, not only pandemics, to the World Health Organization, who would tell us what to do, including lockdowns, vaccinations, and everything else. And we're prepared to sign this. How this could be constitutionally correct, I don't know. 
But apparently 140 or 150 countries around the world are going to sign on to this and give up their sovereignty to the World Health Organization, who was totally wrong on everything regarding COVID. I mean, what did they get right? Nothing. Not a single thing. Transmission of the disease. They were wrong. Oh, you could spread it asymptomatically. That was wrong. The PTR, PCR test is accurate. That was wrong. The fatality rate. That was wrong. The value of lockdowns. Totally wrong. Just had the opposite effect. Closing down businesses and schools. Wrong. Quarantine, uh, quarantine uh, healthy people. Wrong. The hospitals are going to be overloaded. Wrong. Oh, plexiglass, ba- uh, plexiglass barriers. That'll, that'll help you. Wrong. Masks will stop the spread. Wrong. Social distancing. They just made that up. Wrong. Oh, you could spread it outdoors. You remember that one? Wrong. Natural immunity is not as good as the vaccination. Wrong. The vaccine efficacy, wrong. As a matter of fact, more people are getting COVID that are vaccinated because their immune system has been destroyed. Uh, it's just amazing how wrong the medical establishment has been. And you know what? They were wrong because they were lying. They knew they were wrong. And now we're going to give the World Health Organization power over us, that could tell you, you have to shut down your business. Not your country telling you. The head of the World Health Organization, the world dictator on everything health, is going to be able to tell you what to do. This is what the proposed treaty will legally empower the World Health Organization to do. Change the definition of a pandemic, again, in order to declare unjustified pandemics. The who could declare almost anything a pandemic, heart disease, cancer, diabetes, mental illness. They can impose worldwide lockdowns. Enforce expensive, unsafe, and ineffective treatments against the will of the individual people of the world. They could tell you, the World Health Organization could tell you, loose could tell you, you have to get an experimental drug injected into you over my dead body. Implement universal vaccination mandates and digital versions of the International Certificate of Vaccination and prophylaxis to use as a vaccine passport. This is what it's all about. And what this is all about is the introduction to the world government, where you no longer have sovereignty over your country, that the world government will make the decisions. Do you see that this is the start of that? Develop norms and standards for digital technology applications relevant to international travel with digital technologies for contact tracing in the international context. Develop surveillance systems that would link into each country's national health system. So the World Health Organization will be able to get your medical records against your wishes. Declare a ban on wildlife markets. Ensure that national and local legislation on emergency preparedness and response supports and is consistent with international health regulation. So your national or your local legislatures will be regulated on emergency preparedness 
and it has to support and be consistent with the international health regulations. In other words, the World Health Organization dictatorship. Promote novel vaccines, therapeutics, diagnostics, and non-pharmaceutical interventions for health emergencies. Promote untested medicines and vaccines developed against new viruses that only feed the profits of drug companies. Enforce vaccine distribution. Institute guidelines on how each member country would pay fees to the World Health Organization. Biden's prepared to sign this, by the way. And it'll go into effect immediately. Unless uh, the Senate and Congress puts together some legislation against it. This is really insidious. Really insidious. All right. Let's see what else we have here in our um, audio file. Oh, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about the education system in our country, how it's become so woke and so disturbing that I couldn't even imagine sending my child to a public school these days. But the um, teachers think that they are, there's a lot of good teachers out there. I have clients, family members that are teachers. There's, There's some really good ones out there, and I don't want to denigrate all teachers. But a lot of the teachers now in the system are just woke, crazy liberals that believe that they are smarter than parents and that parents should not dictate what children learn that they're smarter and they have degrees. Listen to the hubris and arrogance of this teacher. Master's degree, because when I got certified, I was told I had to have a master's degree to be an Arizona certified teacher. We all have advanced degrees. What do the parents have? Are we vetting the backgrounds of our parents? Are we allowing the parents to choose the curriculum and the books that our children are going to read? I think that it's a mistake. I'm just speaking from the heart. Um, The one line that I love is, uh, we must remember that the purpose of public education is not to teach only what parents want their children to be taught. It is to teach them what society needs them to be taught. Okay. All right. First of all, she says our children, not your children. Okay. Our children. That's communism. Our children. The collective. And she's smarter because she has degrees. You see, they know better than parents. It's not up to parents to decide what their children should be learning and not learning. Oh, by the way, I forgot this one. Talking about people dying from the vaccine. And and this is just an example. I mean, that's hundreds a day. I I don't know how many people are dying this. You only hear about people like this. 31-year-old former Mets minor league pitcher Matt Poborecchio dies suddenly of a heart attack. 31 years old. That's normal. And the worst thing about that, they're still promoting the vaccine. You still hear commercials. Get your shot. Get your booster. Are you kidding me? People are waking up to this. And they're not taking their vaccine. Oh, by the way, I watch Moderna and Pfizer stock. It's going down a lot. And I'm going to make a bold prediction here. Uh, Moderna is going to be a bankrupt company. 
once these lawsuits start. Now, you say, well, they're, they're, they're shielded from liability because it's an emergency use authorization. No, they're not. If it comes out that the trials were fraudulently fudged, and they were, there's evidence of that. The Pfizer was pulling out trial victims and taking them out of the trial. You know, in the first few months, 1,200 people died in the trial. 1,200. And it was still approved by the FDA. Because they're all the same people. But they're still pushing. But if you look at the stocks of Moderna, Moderna was uh, over $300 a share. It's now a 140. Uh, a month ago, it was 200. Same with Pfizer. Pfizer stock's been going down too. That tells me that a lot of bad stuff's coming out on that. And we may, we may even see Pfizer declare bankruptcy in the future when it all comes out. Um, and it couldn't come out soon enough. But when are they going to stop it? When are they going to stop injecting these people with this stuff? It's just amazing to me. And what does that tell you? All right, more crazy political woke correctness in our government. The Smithsonian Institution is massing donors to fund the Museum of American Women, which the director of the project say will include biological men who claim to be transgender women. Who's the... High donor, uh, Melinda Gates, the Gates Foundation, the Walton family, Walmart. The museum's new director promises to represent women on the National Mall in Washington, D.C., according to the New York Times. Together we will celebrate, we will create a museum that celebrates the women who have helped build this country, said Lisa Sasek, interim director of the Smithsonian American Women's History Museum. The director added that their initial idea is to organize around themes including women in politics, entertainment, and science. Thus far, they set to include civil rights activists Mary Burnett Talbert, actress Anna Marie Wong, and breast cancer researcher Shamalala Goplan, who happens to be Vice President Kamala Harris's mother. Oh, I didn't know that. But Sasaski is also planning to satisfy the radical transgender lobby by including biological men who claim to be women among the history of the women they hope to highlight. There is no monolithic experience of womanhood, said Sasaki, emphasized that her museum would not attempt to create a singular narrative. She said she plans to include transgender women who have been subject to increasing harassment and violence at a time when there is a national discussion and a deep partisan divide about the acceptance of transgender identities. We have a job to build a museum that's going to serve the public for a very, very long time. From the DNA of this museum, there has been a desire to be inclusive. Well, if you look at DNA, (laughs) that will tell you what a guy and a girl is. Uh, Why don't you use the DNA of the human being to be inclusive in the museum? This is the same museum that kicked out pro-life people with T-shirts from the Space Museum. Uh, craziness. Uh, oh, by the way, the Toronto Raptors had to apologize for a video claiming women are great because they have babies. Did you hear about this one? And they retracted it. Because they're all queens. 
So these are Toronto Raptors basketball players. Basically, he said that women are great because they could have babies. And, uh, of course, the Toronto Raptors had to apologize because, you know, not inclusive enough. We're an inclusive place. Insanity, people. Insanity. And I got more insanity than I didn't get to today. But we'll get to it next week here on The Financial Physician. Remember the website? TheFinancialPhysician.com, where the entire podcast of the show will be up 10 minutes from now, uh, right after the program's over. Love your emails. Lou at TheFinancialPhysician.com. My office number, if you want to come in for a tax appointment or a financial review, 732-905-8100. 732-905-8100. Remember, I'm not far right. I'm just right so far. Have a great week.